Hello, my name is Miranda Ashby-Wood, publisher at the BIR, and today I'm with Professor Eric Hoffman, Dr Nick Screeton, Professor Philippe Grenier, and Professor June Biomcio, guest editors of a recent BJR special feature on functional imaging of the lung. Today, we'll be discussing the context behind this collection and some of the articles within it. So firstly, thank you all for joining me and for guest editing this excellent special feature on functional imaging of the lung. Why is this area of research important? And why do you think that this topic needed a special feature at this point in time? Miranda, thank you. Functional lung imaging has been uh, developing very rapidly in, in, in recent years, and that's across all modalities. And that's been particularly uh, facilitated uh, by advances in AI and machine learning in recent years. Uh, developments have generally focused on the research domain, uh, but are increasingly becoming routine clinical tools. And I think this is likely to uh, continue and further accelerate in the coming five or ten years. Functional imaging, I think, is key uh, because it has potential to facilitate early diagnosis of disease, quantify that disease, sub-phenotype disease, and allow prognostication and at the same time enable us to monitor responsive disease to treatment. Functional imaging is going to play a bigger role in routine clinical management, I think. It is going to play a key role in drug development uh, for the reasons I've already mentioned, enabling uh, more rapid and cheaper drug development. What I was aiming to do with this uh, special feature was to pull together um, functional uh, imaging research and editorials into, into one, one special issue um, to enable readers to see those broad developments and how they were increasingly uh, becoming clinically relevant. Thank you, Nick. That's brilliant. So in this special feature, there are three reviews providing an overview of each of the key modalities, MRI, PET, and CT. Please, can you briefly explain the main benefits and challenges of each for the functional imaging of the lung? I can start, Miranda, with MRI. Uh, Pulmonary MRI provides structural and quantitative functional images of the lung without ionizing radiation but it has had limited clinical use due to low signal intensity from the lung. The lack of radiation makes a pulmonary MRI an ideal modality for pediatric examinations, pregnant women and patients requiring serial and longitudinal follow-up. Fortunately, recent MRI techniques, including ultra-short and zero eco-time, are expanding clinical opportunities for pulmonary MRI. With the use of multi-coil parallel acquisitions and accelerations methods, these techniques have enabled MRI to advance to a point such that is now recommended clinically for certain disorders. It is the case for cystic fibrosis. Actually, in these patients, similar to CT, proton MRI provides morphologic information. In addition, inspiration and expiration of 3D gradient echo MRI reveals air trapping, Perfusion MRI can also reveal perfusion defects caused by hypoxic pulmonary vasoconstriction with high sensitivity that reflects ventilation impairment due to airway obstruction. 
In addition, hyperpolarized gas MRI with helium-3 reveals ventilation abnormalities with a high sensitivity in patients with cystic fibrosis. We have normal spirometry and normal CT. Quantification of ventilation defects is feasible. It may be useful for monitoring therapy effectiveness. On the other hand, even if the use of hyperpolarized gas remains an important research tool, you have to keep aware that today MRI methods can provide weighted perfusion and weighted ventilation images without gas and or contrast agent allowing lung ventilation and perfusion measurements. There is also a strong evidence that supports the current clinical use of cardiopulmonary MRI in patients with pulmonary hypertension. For the rest of lung diseases, MRI applications for functional lung imaging are easy promising but requiring further validation or regular approval or appropriate for research investigations, for example in COPD, in asthma and interstitial lung disease. I can say a few words about PET. Quantitative image, molecular imaging with positron emission tomography has been used for research purposes, purposes as a further complement to the information provided by the other imaging modalities, particularly to study drug effects on pulmonary disease processes in the context of clinical trials. Novel tracers that are in clinical development are developed to establish molecular phenotypes of diffuse lung disease with different options for accurate quantification of lung PET signals. Uh, thank you, Philippe. And um, in contrast, uh, really, to MRI, uh, CT uh, has a disadvantage of using ionizing radiation, and that uh, limits, it op limits opportunities for dynamic evaluation uh, with CT limits the opportunity uh, for serial uh, evaluation, although of course we can do that, we need to take into account the ionizing radiation. Real benefits of CT are the fact that it gives us excellent spatial and contrast uh, resolution. It can be done at different lung volumes. The excellent anatomical detail we can derive provides a substrate on which we can uh, perform detailed image analysis, particularly supported by AI, in terms of assessment of texture, uh, airway quantification, quantification of the extent uh, of regional air trapping. With uh, newer generation CT scanners with uh, dual energy uh, and spectral CT, it's possible to derive surrogates of uh, perfusion in a single acquisition, uh, so i.e. assessment of regional blood volume, uh, and that is becoming clinically uh, relevant in assessment of acute and chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension, for example. Another challenge, I think, for CT is uh, standardization of, of lung volumes uh, in that to compare similar data sets ideally uh, we'd acquire them at, at, the, at the same volume. What's really I think a little 
recognized is that functional lung imaging really dates back to almost the beginning of computed tomography itself. That at the same time that Hounsfield uh, was developing a scanner in the basement of Emmy to scan a single slice of the immobile brain, a group at the Mayo Clinic I uh, was developing a two-story high 20-ton x-ray system that had 14 x-ray guns uh, uh, rotating about the subject uh, known as the dynamic spatial reconstructor. Uh, and the tools for developing uh, quantitation of volumetric uh, images of the lung and the heart uh, were born uh, in, in conjunction with that. And then uh, electron beam CT uh, emerged uh, to try to track uh, the heart, which uh, spawned interest in coronary calcification as, an, as a measure of coronary artery disease and uh, methods for dynamically tracking the passage of a bolus of iodine through the lung developed allowing for regional perfusion measurements. Certainly back in those days, CT certainly exposed people to sometimes significant amounts of radiation and even uh, without paying attention to it, there were some people that ended up with red circles around their uh, chest uh, from it. But uh, with, with an understanding, a growing understanding of the importance of lowering dose, the emergence of iterative reconstruction methods, better detectors, uh, et cetera, that we can now get quantitative highly accurate measurements, images of the lung in under a millisievert, uh, similar to the doses of a pair of chest films. Today, the CT has evolved to where we're using dual energy uh, that allows us at two different kilovoltages to subtract out just the iodine uh, for perf regional perfused blood volume or just xenon gas or krypton gas inhaled for regional ventilation. And uh, just the last few months, photon CT, photon counting CT has emerged, which instead of accumulating light on the detector and then converting it to a digital signal, uh, the detector is directly digital in the first place and can bin out the energies so that not just two energies can be used for reconstruction. You can have multiple uh, energies and narrow bands of energies. So you could envision a time when you could use uh, krypton for ventilation, gadolinium for perfusion, gold-labeled neutrophils for... Uh, assessment of inflammation all at the same time with resolutions down to a couple of tenths of a millimeter. CT, I think, is emerging uh, to where the radiation doses, uh, while they're still there, uh, they're definitely much less. And the, the 
the spatial resolution of CT still uh, provides information unavailable with other techniques for direct visualization. That's great. Thanks, Philippe, Nick, and Eric. So delving deeper into the topic of MRI for a moment here, there's also a review on lung MRI using hyperpolarized gases. Can you tell us more about this? Sure. There were three articles uh, in this issue that dealt with MRI and included some hyperpolarized uh, gas information, uh, one by Ono and Toyama and colleagues, uh, one by Stewart and Jim Wilde, and then another by uh, Norke and Jim Wilde. Uh, MR imaging of polarized gas includes utilization of either 3-helium or 129-xenon. Uh, helium being in short supply and very expensive has largely given way uh, to 129-xenon. Both are able to provide an image of regional ventilation deficits, apparent diffusion coefficients providing an index of airspace size within the acinar region of the peripheral lung. Uh, xenon is unique relative to uh, helium in that it provides a different signal in air, tissue, and blood, thus providing an index of gas transfer at the alveolar capillary interface. Uh, polarized gas MRI requires some specialized equipment uh, upgrades to an MR facility, including a polarizer uh, to prepare the gas, broadband capabilities on the scanner, and an appropriate tuned uh, chest coil. Uh, the xenon gas capability to assess gas transfer at the alveolar capillary barrier is, to me, the most exciting and highly complementary uh, to the advances provided by photon counting CT. Uh, CT technologies are allowing for imaging of the lung at extremely low levels of radiation, as I discussed earlier, uh, down to a small fraction of a millisievert. However, MRI does, uses no ionizing radiation, which makes this particularly attractive for pediatric imaging, especially in the case where there's a need uh, or a desire to follow longitudinal changes in lung status. Uh, with imaging becoming much more sensitive to early changes in lung structure and function, there is a push to use imaging not just to phenotype more advanced disease states, but to assess the, the normal and early diseased lung with the goal of understanding disease etiology at the very onset of the pathology, uh, not just progression uh, with the goal of slowing advancement. Thanks, Eric. That's really interesting. So how does AI fit into the functional lung imaging space? In my opinion, uh, AI, particularly deep learning technology, is really an uh, important tool to accelerate the clinical implementation of functional lung imaging. As you know, the extracting uh, functional information from the image is quite complicated process. So uh, let me uh, firstly mention about how to use deep learning technology in imaging acquisition step. 
As mentioned repeatedly, uh, one of the main concerns of using CT or PET imaging for uh, functional lung imaging is the fact that they are using uh, ionizing uh, radiation. Uh, with the help of uh, deep learning technology uh, to reduce the noise by a lower dose of radiation, we can dramatically reduce the radiation dose. And uh, when, we, when uh, we used MR imaging, uh, there's always a concern of the temporal resolution and uh, spatial resolution. Especially, uh, I think MR is useful for acquiring images serially after uh, contrast uh, media injection to see the dynamic changes of lung signal. But uh, there's always concern of uh, temporal resolution to uh, correctly extract the functional information. Uh, in combining the previous uh, already used already available uh, imaging acceleration techniques such as parallel imaging and compressive sensing, deep learning algorithm can further decrease the time of uh, image uh, acquisition. So the temporal resolution will be dramatically increased. And uh, in addition, uh, deep learning technology can enhance the signal so that the amount of contrast media used for functional lung imaging can be reduced uh, dramatically. After the imaging acquisition, the next step is image processing to extract the functional information. Uh, for this, we need to uh, segment the areas of uh, interest, whether uh, it is uh, whole lung or the diseased lung areas, and then we have to match the lung areas uh, accurately uh, uh, when we have a serial images, which is called a uh, step of registration. And then we have to uh, apply the model to extract the functional information. This is a quite complicated process and typically uh, time-consuming. And in uh, many cases, uh, in this uh, step, we need a human interaction because all of these steps is not uh, free from the errors. So I think deep learning algorithm can enhance almost all of this process dramatically to enable uh, almost a fully automated image processing uh, steps. And finally, I would like to mention about minimizing the measurement variation. As you know, one of the uh, main issues of using this kind of quantification is the variation of a signal caused by uh, different uh, scanners and image prot protocols. But with the help of uh, deep learning-based image style transfer function, we can minimize the measurement variation uh, dramatically. So, uh, in summary, I think deep learning algorithm is useful in almost every step of our functional lung imaging and it will help us to accelerate clinical implementation of this, of this interesting functional lung imaging. And there are two excellent review articles in this issue to, uh, 
to explain uh, all, all that I have mentioned uh, in detail. Uh, I fully agree with uh, June. Uh, I just would like to mention an additional advantage of AI when the, this technique is used in voluminous multi-parametric data. It's able to, def to define novel biomarkers of disease. Their supervised CNNs can be used to extract relevant image features that are associated with a specific outcome. Brilliant. Thank you, June and Philippe. So the review articles in this collection are complemented by commentaries covering developments in assessing lung function related to specific lung diseases, such as COPD, asthma, pulmonary vascular disease, and idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. How could functional imaging help in the management of these patients? I can start with COPD and asthma. Uh, in this review, there is Dr. Lynch, David Lynch, provided a very nice report summarizing the results of many studies uh, performed during the last years in COPD. And COPD is defined by physiologic airflow obstruction, but physiologic assessment is limited by the fact that it provides only a global index of pulmonary function and often cannot distinguish among subtypes of COPD predominant large airway inflammation, small airway obstruction or predominant emphysema. Imaging is pivotal in identifying and characterizing the relative components of these subtypes of COPD, offering the, an opportunity for individualized treatment of patients with this condition. CT metrics have been developed to quantify emphysema, expiratory air trapping, and airway wall thickening. Although primarily of value and research on pathophysiology of COPD, these CT-based measurements will likely become more widely applicable when targeted treatments become available for emphysema, large and small airway disease. Pulmonary vascular dysfunction plays a major role in the development of pulmonary hypertension, which is an important predictor of mobility and mortality in COPD. Pulmonary perfusion may be quantified directly using dual energy CT and indirectly by evaluating pulmonary vascular volume. MRI may also be used to quantify pulmonary perfusion and pulmonary microvascular blood flow may be measured by first-pass imaging after gadolinium administration. Hyperpolarized gas MRI can be used to directly quantify lung ventilation, identify progression of disease, and assess reversibility with bronchodilator treatments. On the other hand, all these developments in functional imaging techniques needed to be standardized with determination of intra-individual repeatability and validated in wide diverse population. Otherwise, asthma. There is a very nice report by Dr. Krings about the results of studies in asthma. CT quantitative imaging can play a valuable role in characterizing, characterizing asthma phenotypes and endotypes. As well, potentially predicting future asthma mobility. CT is a non-invasive way of replacing bronchial biopsies to assess airway remodeling. Airway wall thickness and wall area are directly correlated with not only an airway's 
endothelium thickness from endobronchial biopsies, but also asthma disease severity and response to bronchodilators. Baseline CT imaging assessment of airways, remodeling and small airway disease can differentiate between phenotype clusters and help predict future longitudinal lung function decline and asthma exacerbations. CT may also be used to assess the effects of treatments, particularly decrease in airway remodeling. Hyperpolarized gas MRI has been used in asthma to detect ventilation defects that have been found associated with asthma severity, severity of obstruction, symptoms, scores, and medication requirements. However, I make the same comment as for COPD. Only future work will allow quantitative imaging making its way into the clinical care of asthma and changing practice. Um, I'm going to talk about uh, pulmonary vascular disease and, and IPF and the impact of, of functional imaging, concentrating uh, really on the, on the true clinical impact. Um, so in terms of pulmonary vascular disease, we can uh, speak in terms of acute pulmonary embolism and in terms of, of uh, pulmonary hypertension, so chronic pulmonary hypertension. And the functional imaging techniques, which I think have, have the, the biggest impact, would be uh, perfusion imaging, particularly in the form of dual energy CT. And uh, Philippe just mentioned uh, the strength of that in identifying perfusion defects, its ability to potentially assess uh, pulmonary vascular volumes as, as well. And dual energy CT is now out of research into routine practice, and it plays an important role, I should say spectral CT, um, but it plays an important role in terms of assessment of acute pulmonary embolism and in terms of phenotyping um, pulmonary hypertension because it identifies uh, regional differences or differences in regional um, iodine density, regional uh, blood volume or regional perfusion uh, celibate uh, in patients with suspected pulmonary hypertension. It does that in a highly sensitive uh, way. Dual energy CT is very valuable in the chronic thromboembolic setting as well because it potentially provides a one-stop shop to identify chronic thromboembolism as well as uh, other features of different causes. Of, of pulmonary hypertension. And another area recently that uh, dual energy CT has, has shown a signal in is in post-COVID uh, disease where uh, vasculopathy is quite common uh, following uh, moderate to severe COVID disease. So perfusion defects are commonly seen on dual energy CT. So this is not just a parenchymal disease, it's a, it's a vascular disease as well. In terms of functional imaging in pulmonary hypertension, assessment of the right ventricle is absolutely key in, clinical, uh, in the clinical setting in terms of uh, assessing prognosis, uh, modifying treatment. Assessment of small vessel functional perfusion on MRI is fairly routinely done in terms of coming out with objective quantification 
um, that there are limitations in clinical practice, but regional differences, as I've mentioned, are readily identified. And phase contrast imaging uh, with MRI is valuable in assessing um, overall lung perfusion, pulmonary blood flow, and in identifying abnormal patterns of flow within the proximal pulmonary arteries, whereby if we see vorticeal flow in those proximal pulmonary arteries, it is highly suggestive of pulmonary hypertension. In terms of interstitial lung disease and, and IPF, there's a very nice uh, review on computer-based analysis in idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. And it's a really important area because there's been a need for biomarkers uh, to assess severity of disease, predict uh, the behavior uh, of patients with interstitial fibrosis, potentially identify subtypes which have different, uh, different outcomes, different uh, therapeutic responses. And just as we need to assess severity of disease, accurate assessment of that allows us to monitor disease and its response to treatment. And I think this is where we're already seeing uh, deep learning tools becoming available to identify the extent of uh, interstitial abnormalities, to characterize those abnormalities. And I should reinforce that the human eyeball is, is very good at pattern recognition. It's quite good at assessment of interval change between serial scans, but it is not anything like as good as uh, the computer in assessing objective extent of disease. And a part of that problem lies in the fact that as fibrosis progresses, the extent of uh, abnormal lung potentially reduces as it fibroses into a smaller space. I think the human eye is nothing like as good as the computer at assessing that, that uh, objective extent of fibrosis in comparison to normal lung. So I think we're going to absolutely see increasing use of, um, of deep learning tools to assess severity uh, disease response uh, and identify uh, subphenotypes in interstitial lung disease and in particular in IPF. One thing I, I need to uh, add is increasing demand from the clinical side for choosing right patients for new drugs. As you know, uh, there were, recently there are several important uh, advancements of uh, drug development, particularly in treating IPF and also asthma, asthmatics. But uh, uh, those drugs are very useful, but uh, at the same time they are expensive and sometimes they, uh, they, they cause severe uh, uh, complications. So choosing the right patients who will uh, be it's beneficial by uh, using those drugs is really impo important. And I think uh, these functional and quantitative lung imaging will be useful in choosing right patients uh, for, for those drugs. Thank you, Philippe, Nick and June. That's great. So lastly, before we end this podcast, 
How do you see functional imaging of the lung progressing in the future, say in the next five to 10 years? New opportunities for MRI of the lung have been offered through the new generation of low-field MR technology. The new closed-bore superconducting magnet design operating at 0.55 Tesla provides superior field homogeneity compared with contemporary clinical MR system at 1.5 and 3 Tesla. Actually, at 0.55 Tesla, lung parenchyma T2 star is approximately 10 milliseconds compared with T2 star of less than 2 milliseconds at 1.5 Tesla. This improves field homogeneity and prolonged T2 star can be exploited to reduce susceptibility artifacts in the lung parenchyma on MR images. In addition, T1 relaxation time is shorter at low field strength, which is valuable for efficient sequence design, and T2 tends to be somewhat longer. Thus, the 0.55 Tesla MR imager is perfectly suited for lung assessment. Additional implementation of sequences providing weighted perfusion and weighted ventilation images without contrast agent should provide an efficient non-invasive tool for a combined structural and functional evaluation of airway and lung parenchyma. Another improvement consists in a new sequence called 3D MR spirometry that enables 3D regional ventilation anywhere in the lung while the patient is free, freely breathing. This non-invasive technique advantageously allows the extraction of original metrics that characterize the anisotropic and hysteretic regional mechanical behavior of the lung and provides 3D flow volume loop maps. So, in summary, I'm fully convinced that at the end, a non-invasive morphofunctional evaluation of lung using MRI equipment at 0.55 Tesla could become the standard for baseline and longitudinal follow-up of patients with chronic airway and lung diseases. Thank you, Philippe. Then on the uh, CT side, I see that the with the recent emergence of photon counting CT, I think that photon counting CT will, over five to ten years, be the CT scanning methodology of choice. It gets rid of uh, much of the noise that's in the images. It, it gets rid of beam hardening uh, artifacts. It uh, really allows us to start standardizing uh, the quantitative metrics across manufacturers and, uh, and across uh, scanner uh, makes and models. Uh, the ability to capture uh, sub-millimeter spatial resolution to be able to uh, extract simultaneously indices of regional ventilation, perfusion, inflammation uh, will really, I think, uh, finally bring quantitative uh, CT imaging uh, into a uh, common use clinically. The ability to capture the airways and the vascular bed in, in 
even finer detail will facilitate the efforts today of imaging regional lung mechanics, computational fluid dynamics applied to these extracted, exquisite, detailed vascular and airway uh, images will allow us to understand the distribution of, of inhaled particulate, uh, the understanding of environmentally based lung diseases is going to become increasingly important as uh, global warming progresses. I think that uh, the uh, complementary nature of MRI, CT, PET, and other imaging modalities uh, will just continue to become much more important as uh, we saw with the recent pandemic that the lung is really the uh, frontier uh, for emerging new uh, issues that the environment challenges our ability to stay healthy. Uh, thank you, Philip and Eric, for the nice comment. And uh, one thing I can expect quite sure is that a more AI technology will be used in uh, functional lung imaging analysis and imaging acquisition. They will increase the quality of uh, imaging and accuracy of measurement and also uh, increase the clinical feasibility. Uh, I think some of, uh, at least some of the functional and quantitative imaging will be used in clinical routine for example, for the quantification of COPD and asthma. Once the uh, image is uh, acquired in CT scanner, those data will be uh, sent to the measurement server so that all of those measurements uh, can be done uh, fully automatically. And then summarized result will be sent to the PEX monitor uh, so that radiologists and also clinicians can use those uh, quantitative and functional imaging in their routine clinical practice. So in summary, I, I'm quite sure that uh, AI will enhance uh, the clinical ad adoption of uh, functional lung imaging. Thank you all of you. It's been a pleasure speaking with you about the recent BJR special feature. Thank you.